Well, good morning, everyone. If you're finding your seats, I'd invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 and following this morning. Now, if you read ahead, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, why is it that Pastor Weber chose this particular passage for our Advent sermon on peace? When we think of peace, the peace of Christmas, we are often tempted to think of the absence of conflict. We might have in our minds that peace of singing Silent Night around the Chrismon tree as we did this past Wednesday, or the peace of sitting in front of your fireplace on Christmas Eve night when finally all of the children have gone to bed, all the gifts have been wrapped, everything is in place and you can sit and have a little bit of peace. But when we come to Matthew chapter 10, what we find is a much different experience of Advent peace. For Jesus says in verse 34 of our passage for this morning, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does Jesus mean here? I mean, what does this statement tell us? How does it parse with the angel's promise of peace On earth, how does this fit with Jesus himself being the prince of peace? How can Jesus say here that he has not come to bring peace when elsewhere he says, in me, you may have peace. Now, peace is a goal in the advancement of God's kingdom. It is a promise that is given to those who come into Christ that we will have peace in and through him. However, what our passage teaches us is that this is a peace that must be won. Paradoxically, it is a peace that comes first through conflict. For the advent of Christ was not a homecoming. It was an invasion. Jesus was born into a stable and placed in a manger, but He was hunted by Herod and for the first several years of His life was exiled in Egypt. For the world into which he was born was a world that was ruled by Satan. Paul in 2 Corinthians goes as far as to say that Satan is the, quote, God of this world. But the true God became man and was born among us. And he came to destroy the kingdom of Satan and to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And with this kingdom a reign of eternal peace. But the battle comes first. The peace must be accomplished. Jesus came not to declare peace, but rather He came to fight for peace. And what we'll see this Advent morning is that if we would experience the true peace of Christ, then we must submit ourselves to the battle for peace. So hear now the word of the Lord, the gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. O blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning, we pray that you may grant us such wisdom as to hear and learn and inwardly digest what you have spoken to us, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we do pray. Amen. To rightly and fully understand our text for this morning, it's important for us to go all the way back to the beginning of this battle which Jesus speaks of. We must go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, we have the account of the fall of humanity into sin, that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they followed the lie of Satan. By doing so, they brought upon the world all the effects of sin and death and brokenness. For they were created to reign as the image of God on the earth, that His kingdom might be established, but instead they rebelled against the reign of God and they ushered in the reign of sin and Satan and death. However, the Lord was not willing to abandon His creation or His people to the fate of death. Rather, he makes a promise of a savior who will come to undo the work of the enemy. In Genesis 3:15, we have the very first promise of the gospel. There we read these words of the Lord to Satan, words that are a declaration of war. He says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Again, this is a declaration of war. For enmity is conflict. It is struggle. And this struggle will play out between those who follow the Lord and those who follow the enemy. And it will culminate in a battle in which the seed of the woman will be injured, but Satan himself will receive the mortal blow. And only when Satan is completely defeated will true peace be established in the kingdom of God. Now, as we go forward throughout the Word of God, we see this conflict continue to play itself out until ultimately it culminates 
in Jesus' birth as the seed of the woman, as the promised one born to crush the head of Satan. He is the one born of the woman who came to earth to fight this spiritual battle. And he went to the cross and he was bruised and he bled and he died. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. And though he was injured, his injury in this battle dealt the death blow to Satan himself and established the kingdom of God on earth. And therefore we read in verse 34 of our text, Jesus' word saying, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. In the verses leading up to verse 34, Jesus has told his disciples about the conflict of following after him. He says that he is sending his people out as sheep among wolves. That those who follow Christ will be delivered over to governing officials for punishment. Those who join Christ will be hated by this world and even by their family. And they might even be killed. Now we might be surprised at such pronouncements from the Prince of Peace. We might think that we could expect people to just leave us alone and allow us to follow Jesus in peace. But we must come to terms with the fact that this is a world that is at war. There is a battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God that rages even now. And Jesus did not come to bring terms of peace, but rather he came to destroy all that stands opposed to his reign. He came to bring a sword to fight a battle and everyone who would know true peace must join Jesus in his battle for peace. That is to say, we must submit our desire to be at peace with this world to Christ and his battle against darkness, against sin and Satan and death. Even as the book of James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Each generation of the church has been tempted to become friends with this world. And the church has often been drawn into the trap of seeking out terms of peace, giving in a little bit to the world, hoping that the world will bring peace to us. If we give in on the miracles of the Bible, will you accept us, academia? If we equivocate on the exclusivity of salvation in Christ and in Him alone, will you accept us, secularists? If we vacillate on the reality of absolute truth, will you be satisfied with us, postmodernists? If we offer our unborn children upon the altar of sacrifice, will it atone for our sins and reconcile us to you, O world? And if we wave the rainbowed flag of submission before you, will you embrace us with open arms and no longer call us bigots? If we vow to keep our religious beliefs within the walls of our church and not allow them into our schools or into our politics or into our medical practices or our bakeries or our homeless shelters or our adoption agencies, then can we have peace with you, O world? O Christian, 
The spiritual forces of darkness will never be satisfied with our concessions to them. They will never make peace with us. They will never relent. For the battle for this world is all or nothing and there is no middle ground. And if we retreat, if we want to take one step backward, then we retreat to our own destruction. What then are we to do? Well, God's Word tells us, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We must resist We must resist every temptation to make peace with the world, to make friendship with the world, because they will never be satisfied. Now, I'm not a person who enjoys conflict. I know on Sundays I can come up here and I can thunder. But on a personal level, I'm a peacemaker by nature. I always have been. I want peace in my family. I want peace with my friends. But to follow Christ is a spiritual battle. And we can't give in to this desire to have peace and equivocate on what we believe. And therefore, if we would know true peace, the true peace of the kingdom, then we have to submit our desire for peace with this world to Christ. And join in his battle. Now, we must be clear what we mean when we speak of joining this battle. The words of the Apostle Paul tells us, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. It's important that we are very clear on this. The battle that we are fighting is a spiritual battle. And the weapons that we have at our disposal are spiritual weapons. Such as the word of God and prayer. Nevertheless, the enemy will manifest his evil spiritual intentions in the physical realm. He will use governments. He will use schools and universities. He will use the media and music and armies. And yes, he will use guns. He will use whatever means possible to protect and advance his kingdom of darkness. And that means that there are times when the spiritual battle does become physical but we as the church are called to advance the kingdom of god not according to the power of the flesh but rather by the sword of the spirit by proclaiming the word of god by destroying arguments with the truth of god's word By bringing down opinions that are not in line with God's word. To take not human beings captive, but to take thought captive. Thoughts that are not in submission to Christ. And therefore, as we fight this spiritual battle, it means that there will be division. It means that our loyalty to Christ and to His way will be tested. For Jesus continues in verses 35 through 37. For I have come 
to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, the family is ground zero for this spiritual conflict. And it is within the family that the highest test of loyalty to Christ will be given. We need to take a moment to appreciate what Jesus is saying here. He is demanding a higher loyalty than your familial ties. And only God has the right to do that. Because your allegiance to family should trump everything else in this world. You should stand for your parents and for your children. Brothers and sisters, you should show loyalty to one another above your friends or above your school allegiances. Many of you know that my children go to two different schools here in town. And these schools will often play each other in sports. And I tell my children... You have to root for your brother or your sister over your school. Why? Because there is no other tie that is more enduring than family. There is no other tie that we have in this world. No other loyalty that is higher than the bond that we have within our homes except one. For God alone has the right to demand that we obey Him and that we follow Him above all else. And that means that in the battle for peace, we must submit all of our prior loyalties to Christ. He must take precedence. And I know that there are many of you with family that despise the way of Christ. They think that you are ignorant And intolerant in what you believe. And the temptation that we have in this world is to make peace with them. To not rock the familial boat as it were. The temptation is to preserve relationships. If I don't speak up for Christ, maybe my nephew will not alienate me. If I don't tell my child that they are living sinfully, maybe I'll be invited to the wedding and eventually be able to convince them to go to church. If I outwardly follow my parents' false religion and don't outwardly submit to Christ in baptism and membership to the church, then maybe I'll be able to remain a part of this family. But Christian, there is no compromising. You are either ready to follow Christ over every other allegiance or you are not. And peace will not come by retaining domestic tranquility. If you would know true peace, then you must submit all of your loyalties to Christ and to Christ alone and bring the battle to your family. You must pray and share and love and sacrifice. You must fight the spiritual battle that is waging in the lives of your children and your siblings and your parents. Because if we think that the battle is just out there, we are fooling ourselves. Parents and and grandparents, your children and grandchildren are constantly being attacked by this world and you need to fight for them. You need to pray for them. You need to teach them the Word of God and not abandon them to this spiritual battle. 
Because when push comes to shove, we must follow after Christ. And we must submit all of our loyalties to Him and to Him alone. You see, the peace of Advent is a peace that must be won. It is a peace that must be accomplished. It must be won in the world. It must be won in our families. And the final thing that Jesus teaches us here is that it must be won within our own hearts. For to know the true peace of Advent, we must submit our whole lives, our whole self to Christ. Look at verses 38 through 39. There we read, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To take up a cross, as Jesus says here, is To lay down your life for the purpose of following after Christ. It's to die to self. It is to give up your life knowing that in Christ you will find true life. So when he says, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. What he's saying is, if you pursue your enjoyment and your life here in this world, then ultimately you will lose that life. But if you are willing to offer your life to me, then you will find true life. Historian Carl Truman has recently written one of the most important books, I believe, on the modern understanding of the self. It's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in this work, Truman argues that the natural outworking of modern and then postmodern philosophy is a view of reality that is centered on individual psychology. To put it another way, in our modern world, everyone believes that they have the right to create their own reality based upon how they feel. The self The inner psychological life and not the outer transcendent truth is what determines and gives meaning to our existence. How we feel is how we know what is true. And so you've heard people say, well, that's your truth, but not my truth. Many of us are confused by the rapid change of our society that seems to only be increasing in its velocity. We're caught off guard by how irrational our culture has become right underneath our nose. The idea that health care includes sterilizing and mutilating children, that health care is assisting people in taking their own lives or in killing innocent unborn infants even up to the point of their birth, where our Congress has just passed a federal law that completely redefines marriage at its very core. A culture where a man can state that he is in fact a woman trapped in a man's body and everyone must just blindly accept it and let him play female sports and use female restrooms and call him by whatever name and pronoun that he desires. And if we don't, it's because we're the ones who are irrational. 
But this situation has come about because as a culture long ago, not just in the last decade, but long ago, we elevated the self above all else. We made gods of ourselves saying that we get to determine what is good and what is evil based upon what we feel and not based upon what God has revealed to us. And we might rightly balk at the most extreme outworkings of this philosophy that are being thrust upon us this day. But we must each ask ourselves, how have I given in to the triumph of self? How have I put my inner psychological desires at the center of the universe and raised myself up as the final arbiter of truth? How do I define marriage? Is it rooted in human emotion? Or in the dictates of God's word? How do I evaluate fruitfulness in my life? Is it how satisfied I am with my job? Or is it how obedient I am to God's calling on my life? How do I choose to worship? Is it based upon how it makes me feel? How encouraged I am? How entertained I am? You wake up on Sunday morning and think, you know, should I go to church this morning or should I not go to church this morning? Because you're looking inwardly to think what is right and what is true. You think it's your heart. You think it's what you feel, but it's not. It is the Word of God. And so when you think about worship, you should think, is it theologically sound? Is it biblically based? Is it Christ-centered? And when you think about the purpose and meaning of your life, do you think about it in terms of how happy am I with my current situation? Or do you think of it in terms of how faithful am I living to the glory of God? We could raise innumerable other examples. But it comes down to this. Who determines reality? There is a war in our culture and there is a war within each of our hearts that is causing the chaos and the conflict that we are living in today. And this war is summed up by this question. Will you believe the lie of the enemy that you are a God determining good from evil, defining your own private reality? Or will you believe and trust that God is God and submit all that you are, your whole self to Him, that you will take up your cross and you will follow Him, knowing and believing that whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will truly find it? If you would know true peace, then you must submit everything to Christ. You must submit your whole life to Him. Now on the night when Jesus was betrayed, He first went to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, to pray. And He knew what lay before Him was the cross. He knew that that was the battle that He was called to fight. And yet, there was a temptation to turn aside. There was a temptation not to take up His cross. Not to fight this battle. To make peace with the world. To make concession. And so we read, Jesus fell on His face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't want, O oh Lord, to have to fight this battle. 
I don't want my friends and my family to abandon me as I fight this battle. I don't want to be accursed and accused. I don't want to be mocked and shamed before these people. I don't want to be whipped. I don't want to be nailed to the cross. I don't want to have to suffer this pain. I don't want you, O God, to turn your face from me as I endure the torments of hell upon the cross. I don't want to fight this battle if I don't have to. Nevertheless, Not as I will, but as you will, O God. Jesus knew that peace would only come if He submitted Himself to the will of the Father. And it was the will of the Father that Jesus would go to the cross. It was the will of the Father that Jesus would fight the ultimate spiritual battle. And therefore He took on sin and by His blood He cleansed it. He took on Satan and by His obedience He overcame him. And He took on death and by the power of His resurrection He defeated death. And the word of the prophet Isaiah came to pass. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastenment that brought us peace. And this Advent, The Word of God is calling you to submit your whole life to Christ. To say to Him, not my will, but your will be done. And to trust Him. And to trust His victory. For the battle continues. But the war has already been won. And on the day of Christ's second advent, the final victory will have been secured. And all who trust in Him and who did not love their lives unto death will enter into His eternal kingdom of peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to You as a people who desire peace. We come to You as a people who are not looking to fight a battle. Would You strengthen us for the inevitable battle that is before us? Give us grace, O God, to follow in the way of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to submit ourselves to Your will. Knowing that it is in Your will that we find true peace. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.